The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. The buzz today is the word mining, but we're not talking about data mining specifically on its own. We're talking about the mining industry. It's about time we brought the word into the daylight. So let's get started. For years, we've talked about mining as a metaphor for, you know what, digging through, analyzing, discovering value and insights in big data. I'm going to mine the data. I'm going to mine it for value in my company. Yes. But now the mining industry itself, the namesake, is undergoing an IoT, Internet of Things, revolution. So we can talk about mining big data in mining, and there we go. But some questions are on the table now. How soon will the mining companies and their suppliers get enough value out of that data, data coming from their sites, from their equipment, from all of those wonderful sensors, to be able to improve safety, productivity and profitability. I don't know an awful lot about the mining industry other than what I've seen on TV and in movies, and it looks like a very scary place to be. So we're hopeful that mining this data will help everything get better. We've assembled a panel of experts, three really solid experts, to help us figure this out and glean their insights into mining for mining. So let's get started. First up on the panel, I'd like to welcome Mark Leach. He is at Cameco, C-A-M-E-C-O. You can pronounce it like you do, but I'm told Cameco. And here's a quote from Mark. He says, IoT, Internet of Things, holds many as yet undiscovered uses, benefits, and opportunities, but it also holds many obstacles and dangers to be navigated, mitigated, and managed. Just because we can record and measure everything doesn't mean we should. And Mark, I have to tell you, this reminds me of an Einstein quote, not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. So Mark Leach, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for joining um, me. Tell uh, me about your quote. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time to be in, in technology. It's exciting time to be in, in any asset industry, I think. Um, it's not often we get to, to witness such radical te- technology disruptions in organizations. And uh, I think this is going to shake up mining and the way we go about mining uh, in the years ahead, uh, starting slowly at first, but certainly increasing over time. I think IoT will actually disrupt a lot of the current supply chains as we see equipment manufacturers getting closer together with their customers, possibly even just disintermediating uh, traditional suppliers and service mm-hmm. suppliers and uh, uh, service providers in the mining industry. You know, there's going to be a bit of this uh, out with the old and in with the new as we go through this, but the transition needs to be very, very carefully managed. You know, there's some interesting use cases coming out of other industries today. 
Uh, you know, I'm thinking about one particular company that manufactures jet engines in the airline industry, and they are starting to sell thrust hours instead of the jet engine in the airline industry. Uh, and that is certainly shaking up the competitive landscape. Uh, you know, how are their competitors going to respond to you know, such a bold approach to the airline industry. And for mining, why would I go and buy a haulage truck or an engine when I can go buy tons hauled or a horsepower and not have to worry about the, all the aspects of asset ownership around it? That starts to give me some real direct value linkage between cost, um, return, uh, and changes the, the emphasis from asset ownership into commodity subscription services. And I think that would be a radical shift. We're probably a very radical way of looking at this, but it, it's certainly something I think that is possible and on the horizon. You know, Thank you. Uh, when we talk about asset management, mm-hmm. sorry, Bonnie. No, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, while you're speaking, I'm thinking I'd love to know more about what part of the mining industry we're talking about. If you just mentioned, are we talking about metals? Are we talking about gems? What are we talking about? And then I will ask our other panelists to add that as well. But go ahead, Mark, just for another minute. Right. Yeah, we're, uh, we're specifically in the metals uh, mining industry, um, predominantly underground. Um, mm-hmm. We do run, we used to run some uh, above ground or, or open pit type mining as well. So um, we, we do a bit of it all. Uh, and, you know, we also do some downstream work in manufacturing. So um, we certainly have a unique view on IoT as it applies to our company and our industry as we go forward. You know, for us, asset management is one of the most important things we can do. Uh, it's a lot of value for us to manage assets appropriately. Uh, and so we, we have this view of, you know, everything that we connect and every bit of data we analyze has to drive bottom level, bottom line value to the company. You know, if we're going to measure something that ultimately doesn't drive value, what's the point of measuring it in the first place? You know, we'll, we talk about in terms of uh, condition-based monitoring and predict- predictive maintenance, you know, and how those things can result in better asset utilization for us. Thanks, Thank you buddy. very much, Mark. Oh, my pleasure. Good, good intro. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit once we get everybody up and talking about their quotes. I'd like to know a little bit about where mining companies are, just a little background on the industry. It's fascinating, and we only see the sensationalist stories that make it to the news, and we all know they're scary, <laughs> and everybody grips the edge of their chair or grips the next beer and says, OMG, I hope they get the miners out. So w- when people think of mining, at least when I do, I think about catastrophe, and I'm hoping that we can answer some questions about how these catastrophes can be avoided. So let's go on. Thank you, Mark. I'm bringing on our second panelist now. It's Steve Fisker, F-I-S-C-O-R. He's the editor-in-chief for two of the leading mining mining trade journals. One is Engineering and Mining Journal, commonly known in the industry as ENMJ, and Coal Age is the other one. And here's a quote from Steve. As mining engineers and metallurgists begin to fully embrace the Internet of Things concept, they will test it geographically and on a size and scale most people would find hard to imagine. That's a big promise there. Steve Fisker, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. We're delighted to have you. Talk to me. What does this all mean? <clears throat> well, uh, mining is a global business, and uh, in, in some of the most remote parts of the world, we blast and dig rock and coal, and we load it into trucks and onto conveyors. We crush it and remove metals. In a lot of ways, you could, you could think of mines as rock factories, where uh, the mm-hmm. profitability depends on the cost per ton. And for years, we used economies of scale, larger trucks, larger shovels, faster conveyors, to reduce our costs, and uh, now the professionals in the mining and processing business, not just the IT people, 
are discovering ways to reduce costs by mining smarter, and uh, the Internet of Things is assisting in that endeavor. Okay. So, sensors, where are they? Are they in the miners' hats? Are they on the, the, the coal cars? Are they in the walls? Are they? Where are all these sensors? We think of a deep, dark pit. Where are you putting the sensors? How is IoT going to bring that data up to the surface, or are we going to get the data from all the way down in the mine? Steve, give me some pictures here. Um, well, on the surface, we're operating some pretty big equipment. We're operating these large haul trucks. The, uh, the tires on these haul trucks are four meters high and weigh as much as six tons. And, uh, you know, they're, they're rolling down the haul road. And they have, you know, four years ago, five years ago, they had four IP addresses. Now they have eight IP addresses. They've got all these uh, attachments on there, and they're collecting a lot of data on that. And they're collecting data on all the equipment. And... Uh, Underground, likewise, we have uh, communication systems, tracking networks where uh, we can follow our miners, follow our assets, see what they're doing, find out how well they're operating, and we're collecting all the data on that equipment as well. And then on the surface, where we bring all this rock together, we have these large processing plants. These plants consume a lot of power, so do the mines, and in there we have a, a bunch of different operating systems, and we're collecting data off those and finding out how well they're operating as well. Steve, I have one question before we introduce the third panelist. Who reads Engineering and Mining Journal, ENMJ, and Colage? Do the miners read it? Do the company owners, the operators, the scientists? What's your audience? Our audience is mostly mining engineers and metallurgists. And in our business, it's, it's so specific that uh, most of the mid, mid-level managers and uh, executives have uh, either come up through the ranks as an engineer or a metallurgist, or they've come in from the business or accounting side. So most of our readers, I would say, are mid-level managers that are mining engineers, metallurgists, but we do have a fair share of executives. Uh, Miners, not so much. Okay, I want to make sure we, I hope the miners know we do this show today and they listen and hear the good news because I know we're going to have good news. Thank you, Steve. We want to get the good news out there. Rounding out our panel today is Rudiger Schroeder. He and I are such good friends after one prep call that he's letting me say Rudy <laughs> instead of Rudiger. Thank you, Rudy. And Rudy sent me a really interesting quote, very short and to the point. He says, today, Internet of Things, IoT is a buzzword, but tomorrow it will make Star Trek technology look old. We're ready for that. Rudy, welcome. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Bonnie, and uh, welcome to our show here. And, um, yeah, let me say that um, if you look at the recent developments on Internet and uh, developments and uh, connectivity, and if you look at uh, things like Google Glasses or wearable devices, those are things which you may have seen in movies maybe 20, 30 years ago in the Star Trek series, and now you see this in reality. And then you really look back and look at the movies and think, well, this is what I've seen already before 20, 30 years ago, and now it looks really cool. And it's looking even better than whatever has been imagined in all these science fiction movies. Okay, science fiction movies. Is, is anybody going to be doing uh, anytime soon, Rudy? I know this isn't a fair question because we didn't talk about it, but is anybody going to be doing a movie about mining and how IoT saved the day? Uh, do, do you see that coming? <laughs> <laughs> or a TV series? Would be fascinating. We'd be on the edge of our seat gripping. What do you think, Rudy? Well, maybe in a year or maybe in two years. Um, we just have to get the production budget ready, and then we can go ahead and talk. <laughs> we'll do a crowdfunding project. I'll help you. We'll get Ira Burke and Darren Crowder, who sponsor this series for SAP. We'll get them to put some. Ira, you can hear me now. He's on a chat with me. Ira, start raising a budget for a movie. We're going to do it. Okay. 
we have met our three panelists. We know they're smart. We know they're interesting. And I want to know a little bit about what they're drinking right now during the show or what they plan to drink after because this is Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. We're part of the big global flagship series I started three years ago for SAP called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I know you're ready, Mark Leach. Tell me something really interesting you're drinking now or after the show. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. Um a cup of coffee, and not just any coffee. I'm, uh, I've been accused of being a bit of a snob coffee drinker. Uh, I like good co- quality coffee, preferably something from South America. Colombian would be my preference. Um, I'm pretty fussy about the coffee I drink, so uh, I generally bring my own coffee to work, much to the amusement of my staff. <laughs> and what, what, what's your favorite? What's the flavor? What's the brand? You take it dark, you put stuff in it. Is it full caffeine? I call that leaded and high test. What, what exactly? <laughs> give us a, give yeah, us a little we, more picture where it's here. Go ahead, Mark. I call it 6 volt and 12 volt. So, you know, a good espresso <laughs> give you a good 12 volt jolt. Uh, you know, good, some good amperage there. Uh, so, uh, I like a good espresso maybe to start the morning off, you know, a shot or two at home. I have a cappuccino machine uh, maker at home and an espresso machine at home, which I put to good use. Um, so if I have to buy out in the street, yeah, a good Starbucks is, is good. Uh, strong coffee is, is what my preference is. Oh, I'd like to meet you someday for a 12-volt coffee. That just sounds wonderful. <laughs> I've, I've learned to drink caffeinated coffee after 8 o'clock at night, and I can still sleep. That's how tired I am after a full day of radio. So that says something. Thank you, Mark. Steve Fisker, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking right now or after the show? Well, I live in Jacksonville, Florida, <clears throat> and that's where uh, Maxwell House is brewed. Good to the last drop, and uh, I'm having that dark with uh, some Splenda. Oh, I love that. Oh, very interesting. I have family in Jacksonville in Ponte Vedra Beach. Are you near there? Yes, ma'am. Well, after the show, I'll tell you where you can go take a peek and say hello to my relatives because they're on the water there on the intercoastal, and I have to get down there and visit them. Thank you very much, Steve. And Rudy Schroeder, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? I'm calling from Atlanta, and I'm also in the coffee camp. Um, I like it. I probably similar to Mark. I like it. Uh, I like certain kinds. So I like especially Italian coffee. And uh, when I moved to the US, this kind of special kind I'm using it was not so widely available, and I was always importing um, the the coffee. In, it comes in cans, and uh, so I had to go always through the security at the airport, and they always stopped me for that because I was always thinking I had some explosive in my in my hand luggage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was very dedicated in doing this. So I had a huge shelf with uh, this um, this supply for this. It was always lasting for a couple of months until I could back go back to Europe. Or so now it's widely available, so I don't have to uh, buy it in Europe anymore. <laughs> you're not you're not in as much danger. Well, we've got some real coffee aficionados here. Thank you very much. And by the way. They might not let me have coffee during the radio shows, but I will have a cup after the show. No caffeine for Bonnie when she's on the air. We are having a really serious conversation here, all joking aside. We're talking about Internet of Things and mining, and our topic today is revolutionizing an industry. How is IoT making the difference? Will the companies, will the suppliers, will the executives be able to make things better in terms of improving safety? So important. Productivity, yeah, we don't want them 
down there any longer than they have to be. And profitability. Well, if we want what they're mining, they have to be profitable or they won't be in business. Those are three very important factors we're going to be talking about. We're speaking today with Mark Leach at Cameco, with Steve Fisker at Engineering and Mining Journal and Coal Age, and Rudy Schroeder at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. When we come back in about 90 seconds, we're going to start a 30-minute roundtable. You don't want to miss this one. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Michael, out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. I just have a side note here from Ira Burke. He says, remember Margaret Hamilton? Yes, she was one of the witches in The Wizard of Oz way back in the day. Cora selling Maxwell House coffee from her general store. There is an ancient general store here in Stamford, Connecticut, reputed to be the place where they filmed the ad. Thank you, Ira Burke. Appreciate that little bit of history trivia for coffee. Let's get started in serious in earnest now on our roundtable. I'm speaking today with Mark Leach at Camago, Steve Fisker at E&MJ. You know what that is by now in Colage and Rudy Schroeder at SAP. Mark Leach, it falls on you. We're going to start the roundtable with you, 30 minutes nonstop. And I'd like to start talking about embedded sensors. You told me in your notes before the show, Mark Leach, embedded sensors are available with virtually every asset. Companies can achieve a real-time view and understanding of all their critical machine reliability, productivity, and maintenance requirements. Great place to start. Mark Leach, why don't you lead the way? Thanks, Bonnie. Um, you know, sensors are not new. Uh, if you talk to those smart folks in reliability engineering, they've been using this stuff uh, for a long time. We've called them programmable, programmable logic controllers. We've called them SCADA systems. We've called them by a lot of different names. But the data gathering has been pretty narrow and, and sort of task-focused. What's changed today uh, is that this, these sensors and these things collect a much broader variety of data. Um, you know, there could be sensors monitoring energy usage, there could be monitoring pressures, there could be monitoring vibration, there could be mo- monitoring a whole host of different things. It gives an indication of the asset performance and also its likelihood that it's going to fail anytime soon. 
Uh, and so reliability engineers can really use this data to start to predict their maintenance schedules, and they don't really, so they, they can move away from applying you know the one size fits all kind of maintenance strategies of the past. Uh, you know, previously we might have used mean time before failure and replaced parts, even though they didn't need replacing, uh, mm-hmm. at a cost to the company. So you know, by by actually analyzing the performance of the data and also different assets in different environments and uh, different conditions, we'll need different maintenance strategies. And so reliability engineers can use this data, start to correlate data not only across their own assets in a particular mine or a section of a mine, but perhaps across a group of mines that are part of a company. And if we really want to extrapolate this out to the extreme, uh, you know, across a whole industry. So perhaps if we could consolidate our data with that of Rio Tinto or BHP or Valet or any other company that's using similar assets uh, and the manufacturer can actually start to feed us this information and saying, hey, we're starting to see this rates on these things. Maybe you want to take a look at, if you're operating these assets like this, take a look at uh, perhaps doing some maintenance on them. So that helps us eliminate downtime and production loss, which obviously uh, boosts our profits and make sure that our asset utilization is kept very high. Mark, how about the safety aspect? What if a miner sees something, hears something, and it doesn't jibe with what the sensors are saying? Hey, I heard a little rumble there, or hey, I thought I saw a little bit of light coming through a crevice that's not supposed to be there. Uh, is, is the system, are the people who are analyzing this and keeping track of, of this flow, this flood of IoT data coming in, are they able to also incorporate the human reporting value? And I'm sure that's important. What do you see? Yeah, I think that's that's a critical part, and we call that operator care rounds. So, you know, when people go around in the morning, they do their checks, they have a look at the machinery, they have a look at their dashboards, and they say, yeah, this is what the data is telling me, but what do I actually see in terms of the machine? Is there perhaps an oil leak because maybe the sensor hasn't been triggered yet to say, hey, there's a low oil condition? Uh, and we feed that back through the system. So there's a manual trigger uh, in all of these analytical systems that say, hey, there should be a work order notification issued for maintenance here because... You know, somebody could get hurt if this thing breaks. Uh, in our case, um, we're in northern Saskatchewan. We have a lot of, uh, we, we mine traditionally in very uh, water-rich environments. Uh, and so, you know, a failure of a, of, of a certain pump could result in a mine flooding and, and be a very, very serious uh, consequence for us. Okay, thank you. Steve Fisker, talk to us. What do you think about what Mark put on the table here? Well, I, I agree with him uh, wholeheartedly. I mean, uh, one of the things about big data is that uh, we, we've always had quite a bit of it, um, but today it's uh, being presented to us in a format like a dashboard where rather than an engineer pouring over volumes of data, they can look at a dashboard and see what the data is telling them right away so they don't have to sift through all these numbers to figure out what's going on. I think safety-wise, um, you know, we have these systems in the mines now that are constantly monitoring um, the ventilation system. If, if smoke comes out of somewhere, they, they, they get an alarm if there's a fire or something like that, and they can alert workers in one area. And, and the response time is much more, uh, much more quick, and the communications these days is much more quick, and it's, 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 it's a lot easier, and it's making them more productive. Um, on the surface, I mean, we operate a lot of big gear. And uh, some of these trucks, I mean, they could run over a pickup truck and not even realize they ran over it. Oh. So what we have on our trucks today is we have these different uh, systems, that uh, proximity detection systems that are basically showing the truck or allowing the truck to see anything that's around them. And that's helping safety because we have problems with collisions and, and other systems. Mm-hmm. So, Big stuff uh, moving around. 
Yep. Yeah, there's a there's a, a lot of benefits today of what's going on. Rudy Schroeder, I want to get you in on this. Okay, okay, go ahead, Mark. I want to make sure Rudy gets in. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and, and just uh, pick up something Steve said around big data, right? And that you know, that's that's I think the big change for us. Uh, you know, we've always had some data, but it is that big data, that volume, that velocity, that variety, and it's coming at you pretty quick. And you had to make sense of it super quick. And so the tools are finally here that are allowing us to do that. And that is the the big game changer that we see uh, in the industry as well. Thank you. Rudy Schroeder, talk to us. What are you thinking? Um, I would agree with that. With the, um, the IoT itself, uh, or with the new word for IoT, I think it has uh, has changed not too much. The, in the old days, you would probably call it my, um, machine-to-machine communication, or you had interfaces between systems, for example, to record production quantities and put it in another system or so. With the with the explosion of IoT and with all the sensor, you now have the possibility to have much more variety of data you can capture. You have the tools available to store those data. And also when you come back to, um, to the new devices like wearable devices, wearable devices um, it's much easier to um, put information out to the workers on the, on the mine, for example, much quicker. For example, if you have seismic shifts or something like this, or you have alerts with, with, um, with fumes or with gas or with, with, with accidents and those kind of things, you can warn those people much quicker nowadays, and uh, so you gain a lot of lot of safety. Um, I think a lot of things is still in, to figure out. For example, when you look at this volume of data, what data needs to be uh, looked at? What are the relevant data? You get a lot of noise of data, which maybe maybe not be necessary. So you can capture them and you can maybe still analyze them, but they may not provide any value. So this is still probably still a work in progress to define what kind of data are really relevant and which one are maybe just noise and can be ignored. So this is a, probably the the, uh, the ongoing task here. And also I think one danger is probably coming up if you have more and more predictive maintenance or predictive analytics or the sensors is that you forget about the human uh, aspect of that. Mm-hmm. That, uh, for example, what you mentioned earlier, is somebody really uh, cross-checking this? Uh, is maybe the sensor overlooking certain things which a human would uh, see immediately, and then uh, it may 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 end up that people are relying more on the technology than on their own eyes or on what they what they know. Thank you, Rudy. I'm thinking, uh, just a comment from me to the panelists, I'm thinking uh, about a year ago we did a show on the the technology revolution and evolution in manufacturing. And we were saying, I was saying with the panelists, that it used to be if somebody's child, young young person, uh, student, worked in a factory and said, oh, he's got a factory job, you know, no big deal, thinking back to uh, Charlie Chaplin movies about being being in the in the machine, being on the assembly line. And now it's, wow, my kid or my brother or my friend or my husband, he's working and he's got his own iPad and he's doing uh, real-time analytics and helping the company produce faster and better. And I'm wondering, is there this same excitement in the mining industry? Anybody can answer this, please, uh, th- that – Sensors are there, that technology is there, that the mining companies are smart and they're bringing in ways to improve everything. And there's an excitement as well. Anybody want to answer that? Well, Steve, I'll I'll take a pass at it. I mean, I'm seeing some of the larger companies, they're they're providing uh, devices, tablets to a lot of the engineers, and uh, 
they do have access to the information. Um, the environment we work in, though, it, it's pretty rough and, and it's demanding. So mm-hmm. the, the tools we use have to, have, have to be rugged. In some cases, we're in environments that uh, are explosive in nature, so they have to be uh, intrinsically safe. So a lot of, we have to have different approvals for different type systems, but we are seeing more technology deployed like that. Okay, Mark, I heard you too. Talk to me. Yeah, uh, we're yeah we're not seeing a, a massive demand for that directly from the mining crowd. Um, I think mining historically has been slow to change. We're a risk averse group of people. Uh, engineers don't like to try you know, and, and move away from the tried and tested, and now they've got to trust these devices. Um, yeah, as Steve pointed out, you know, if you're working in minus 40 conditions, uh, iPads and those kind of cool tools don't work so well with big fat gloves on, uh, you know, and so we're really concerned about the, 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 the possibility for safety incidents because they have those devices and uh, because they're trying to use them in environments perhaps where they weren't uh, originally designed for. Okay. Rudy, you want to chime in on anything there? Yes, I mean, it may not work for, for, um, for people who are directly on the ground, basically, but uh, for especially on, on the administrative jobs or office jobs or in the uh, management jobs, I think a lot of those uh, new technologies are interesting to attract talent. If, uh, if you look at the students now, 20 years old, they grew up with iPads or they grew up with iPhones and they are used to, uh, to apps and all these kind of things. And uh, in the work environment, you have to, um, have to provide something cool as well nowadays in order to mm-hmm. attract people. If, you have other, if you're competing with other industries and an engineer, for example, could decide if he goes into mining or he goes mobile, maybe in automotive or something else. And uh, in the, the other industries have more cool um, cool features or cool uh, gadgets kind of thing, then uh, they will probably choose this one and then make, may make it much harder for mining companies to attract the talent. Yeah, so I think this is uh, also a very important aspect for that one. Thank you, Rudy. That's what I was looking for. By the way, uh, on my, my personal radio show about a year and a half ago, I interviewed the author Matthew Hart, H-A-R-T, the author of the book called Gold, Simply Gold. He talks about uh, going on an excursion for researching his book into the Mo-Neng, M-P-O-N-E-N-G, Moneng Mine near Johannesburg. It's the deepest man-made hole on Earth. The shaft is three miles underground. Tunnels outstrip the length of the entire New York City subway system. And he talks about going down in the mines and the culture and the heat and the humidity and the dangers. It's a real story about gold and the search for gold. Very interesting. Has anybody read the book or heard of it? Mark Leach or anybody else? I have not. You might well, want think, to go I check think it Mark out. Mark and I are probably both familiar with the mine, but uh, I'm not familiar with the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take a look. Go on. Uh, I'm looking at the review in the Boston Globe. It's called Gold, just gold by Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, Hart, H-A-R-T. And I interviewed him, and it was f- absolutely fascinating, gripping, a gripping book, and it's it's a true story. So just an aside there. Let's turn to some notes from Steve Fisker. Uh, let's see. I'm looking, Steve. Here's a very telling statement in your notes. I think this is worth exploring. You say, they say, and you have to tell me who they are, they say miners have been slow to adopt new technologies. And then you say there are roughly 20,000 haul trucks of 150 tons or greater. That's big stuff operating at mines around the world. And you mentioned before about the increasing the number of IP addresses. So 
Where does the reluctance come from? Is it a question of investing the money, changing the infrastructure, updating legacy systems? Where is the resistance come, and is it changing faster now? Steve? Um, I, I think it's a generational change that's taking place. Um, if, you, if you look at the mining industry in general, um, most of the ore that's mined is produced from surface mines. Um, you know, uh, you tend to glamorize underground mining, and it is exciting, but uh, most of the minerals that we mine are mined from surface mining operations. And when we look at the world, most of the money is spent in copper, gold, iron ore, and coal. And a, a lot of those are surface mining operations. And a lot of them are in remote locations where uh, people just they don't want to work. And so it's, it's important for mining companies to, to hold on to people, to attract people to these operations. And it's uh, important to uh, keep track of everything that's happening there. Um, the equipment itself, uh, you know, they, uh, I attend many conferences where this discussion, these type of discussions take place, and uh, they often say that we're slow to adopt this. And I think it's true to a certain regard. Um, we have a general shi- gener- generational shift taking place where we have uh, a brain drain taking place where older gentlemen are retiring, and we're having a little bit of problem attracting new people to our industry. So uh, we're a little bit slow getting there, but uh, I think once miners or mining engineers realize what the potential here, once they embrace it, um, they'll, they'll really run with it. Okay. Rudy, talk to me. You agree? Um, I would agree that, especially with the brain drain and with the, um, with the retiring people. Um, and this is what I mentioned earlier. In order to attract new, uh, new people to work on the mine, you have to offer them. You have, you have to offer them something, and uh, you have to offer the latest technology. So there is a force on there. Um, to, to, to do that. The other thing is, especially with volatile prices and uh, volatile markets, uh, and uh, at the moment um, we see this um, quite a bit with, uh, with the commodity prices down, there is a lot of pressure on, on the operating costs to bring them down. And, uh, and um, this traditional methods to increase productivity, I think uh, you have probably pretty much reached the limits now. We have to make a technology shift in order to uh, to um, to gain more productivity and and uh, and uh, be profitable. Bonnie, Mark Bonnie the other thing, there, yeah. there's a lot, there's ahead, a lot of risk involved. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there, there's the risk to human life, but there's also the risk to capital. I mean, one of these trucks, mm-hmm. for example, is worth five to six million dollars. So you, you can't risk it going off the road and tumbling over. Um, so you have to be really comfortable with the technology and trust it before uh, you're willing to make that leap. Okay. Mark, thoughts? Join us. Yeah, I, I agree it's generational. Um, certainly we are seeing slower adoption of these kinds of technologies amongst our, our older folk. Um, and Rudy rightly points out that we shouldn't be preparing for their generation. We should be preparing for the next generation. There's a great book written, uh, I think it's called uh, Workforce 2020 or Generation 2020. I forget the actual uh, author and title of that book. But it basically says that companies need to start making shifts today to prepare for the workforce of tomorrow. Uh, And these guys coming in, they want to use this technology. They know how to use it. They're not digital migrants anymore. They are digital natives. They know how to use this stuff. So we don't have to teach them anymore. And I think we're going to see an acceleration over the next five to 10 years into the world of IoT. And we're going to see 
the, the whole business of mining and how we use sensor data radically shift. Um, I think there's an IDC report that was written in June last year that is predicting just in Canada that the business of IoT will grow 10 times faster than the, the actual uh, rate of IT systems growth, traditional IT systems growth, and that's phenomenal. It's all phenomenal. Uh, I'm very intrigued by this conversation, and I want to move it over to Rudy Schroeder. Rudy, something you said in your notes is very intriguing to me, but I, I want to take it quickly, have everybody comment, and then go in another direction. You say one of the biggest areas of increased productivity and cost savings is smart vehicles, like what Rio Tinto is doing with their driverless mm-hmm. trucks and trains. And I looked that up. Rio Tinto Group is a British-American I'm sorry, British Australian multinational metals and mining corporation headquartered in London with a management office in Melbourne, Australia. So what exactly are they doing? Is this brand new, this concept, Rudy? Um, they are experimenting with it for quite some years now, maybe four or five years or so. It is basically that they let trucks run without drivers. Uh, or let's say uh, recently they, they started trains without drivers, so it's basically uh, everything is controlled via cameras from a remote control center. It's not even on site. Um, what they basically gain out of this is, besides that they save uh, the expenses for, for a driver, which runs uh, very, yeah, the, the cost for a driver are very high, especially in Australia, um, is that they can basically operate the vehicles much smoother, much more evenly. And, uh, and so, for example, they don't hit the brakes abruptly or they, they can basically control the distance between the trucks and uh, so that the trucks get better usage, have a high um, uh, utilization rate, and so that they can basically use the trucks much better and much more efficiently. Thank you. And Very same, interesting. You go ahead. The same, the same is for, for the train, so they can schedule the train. Uh, and uh, and uh, in, in, in certain distances, and they don't have to. Uh, they don't have to rely on drivers anymore. Okay, Mark, what have you observed? Anything uh, you aware of or familiar with the Rio Tinto project? Yeah, they have a quite a large program. I think they're calling it the Mine of the Future. Uh, they're looking mm-hmm. at. I think it's four or five key areas of. Uh, of automation in their minds. Of, we've spoken about the haulage piece. Uh, they're also looking at other a- aspects of it, energy usage uh, and, and some other pieces. I think there's some safety in there as well. So, uh, yeah, great start. We're looking at some aspects of those kinds of automations ourselves. I mean, we're looking at ventilation on demand. Uh, it has a, a promise, a massive payback, you know, 40% payback uh, on that, and so we're hoping to progress that forward. And that's just the start of it. We're looking at energy sensors as well and what we can do to reduce our energy utilization. This all forms part of our sort of sustainability program, uh, and, and I think many other mining companies are looking just as closely at those kinds of things, right? We, we need a lower cost and being, you know, if we can get a double whammy for, you know, being more sustainable, but at the same time lowering our costs and, and you know, boosting our profits uh, you know, and getting some investor confidence back in us, uh, that would be a mm-hmm. big win. Good. We haven't talked about that profitability, uh, investability side yet. Steve Fisker, join us. What are you thinking about what Rudy and Mark have been talking about? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think what uh, Rio Tinto is doing is great. And, uh, and what, what they're doing with the trucks is interesting. Um, it's, it's, it's not very, uh, well, it's, it's, it's relatively flat mining conditions. So it's, it's not a deep pit where trucks are making their way in and out of a deep pit. They're, they're mining iron ore, and uh, it's relatively simple routes. But it's important because they've automated the trucks. 
I think uh, when we, I think when we step back and look at things rather than looking at individual pieces of equipment, if we can look at the entire operation, um, I think the Internet of Things gives people a chance to view it, view the entire operation, and the engineers can change certain variables in that model and see how it affects the entire operation. They can say, well. Should we run this piece of equipment until it fails? And what mm-hmm. kind of impact would that have on the operation? Um, or do we go ahead and spend the time each month to take it down, service it, and is that really worth it versus running it to uh, failure? And by doing these different models, they can look and see how their operation is affected overall. Thank you. I want to take this out to a very global perspective right now. Let's talk about the realities, the everyday realities of operating mines at remote sites and trying to bring in all this technology and embed these sensors, whether it's in the mine or bringing the equipment to the site where it needs to be. Uh, Steve Fisker, what, what are you reporting on in, your, in the magazines you edit, in the journals? What are people saying about this? Is it getting any easier for a company to say, gee, there's this mine that's been closed down for 50 years. It's way far away from all kinds of civilization. Yeah, we'll put staff in there. We'll bring the, the driverless trucks in. We'll get all these sensors in. We'll have people in a, at a control panel reading all the big data. Is that happening or is that just a romance novel? No, it, it, it's happening, but most of the equipment arrives with the sensors embedded in it. Um, what what we have is professionals who have to develop uh, an IT platform that's scalable. Most of these mining companies operate in other regions, so they have to be able to set up shop somewhere else. Probably the hardest thing for them is getting power to the site, whether that's electricity or whether they're going to run everything off diesel. And then from there, uh, basically setting up the network and then getting it to com- communicate back to headquarters. Um, but just making sure that everything's scalable. Some of these mines, they, um, like Mark was saying, they consume as much power as a small city. So it's getting that infrastructure in place, and once it's there, the equipment does, uh, it has the sensors on board already. Well, it sounds like it's a very big investment. Mark, you want to comment? Yeah, yeah um, certainly the infrastructure component to all this is critically important. You know, data doesn't just transmit itself. So it needs a, a base infrastructure to work on. Those problems are getting solved, but they're expensive. Um, and so we get back to that whole investment discussion and, and a little bit of it around risk averseness. And, you know, in, and some of the older miners saying, well, do I really need this? I've been able to dig this stuff out of the ground for years. Uh, you know, why do I need to make these changes now? We have to convince them that this is a better way and, and it's a much improved way. And then we have to convince the, the, the people that hold the purse strings this is a worthwhile investment to make. You know, And it's hard to draw a line and say, well, we're going to put a network in here. And underground conditions, open pit is fairly easy. You know, you've got wide open airspace, line of sight. You can do some great things with wireless and satellite. You know, uh, you know, a thousand meters below the surface, it's not so easy. You're right. working in tunnels. There's uh, m- maybe lots of metal and concrete around you, lots of other mo- moving machinery. Maintaining good signal strength is, is, is really challenging. Now, companies like Cisco have solved that problem, but it is costly. Uh, and so there is some reluctance on, on miners to do that. Um, but there are some kind of store and forward type devices we're using today just to at least spark that kind of uh, process. Uh, around data analysts. So they might gather data for a shift underground and take it up there. It's not real-time, but not all Mm -hmm. data needs to be real-time to be properly analyzed. Thank you. 
Rudy, I want to talk to you about wearable devices that are helping to monitor hazardous exposure and minor fatigue. And I'm not talking M-I-N-O-R. I mean M-I-N-E-R. So, Rudy, we, we talk about wearables all the time. We did an episode recently here on Internet of Things Radio. We did one on my coffee break with, with Game Changers Radio Show. It's a hot topic. So, who is paying to bring in these wearables and exactly what are they? Are they Fitbits for minor fatigue or what are they getting? What are they taking down into the mine with them? Well, it can be anything. So it could be theoretically Fitbits, but, uh, but uh, what we're looking mostly is, uh, for example, uh, smart watches or something like this, which are enabled to capture alerts, for example, or they may even capture, uh, have their own sensors to capture some data from the environment. And this is something that everyone can wear in, in, in those environments. Mm-hmm. Of course, they have to be a little bit rugged or they have to be protected at, the, at this time, but... Uh, but this is probably um, in the next couple of years more and more common that you use smart smart uh, watches or smart devices um, which are able to uh, receive alerts, for example, that a certain section of the mine should be uh, evacuated or it should be moved or that uh, the seismic shifts have, have happened, uh, those kind of things, or there may be traffic alerts. You can even warn uh, drivers of trucks uh, fall from the truck in front of him that he's coming to close and those kind of things. So there are a lot of lots of um, uh, use cases uh, where you can think of a wearable device uh, makes makes much sense. Uh, in the real world, so far, I think wearable devices have not caught up with consumers or so, but I think it will be a huge uh, a huge business on the, on, the, on the business side and and uh, it will catch up quite quite uh, quite quickly, I think. Thank you, Rudy. Steve Fisker, are you reporting on these wearables and the increased use and applicability in your ENMJ and Colage? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, it's it's like Mark said. On on the surface, um, these tools can be used quite easily. I mean, we have uh, devices that the haul truck drivers are wearing to tell whether they're nodding off or getting tired. Uh, and I've, I have heard uh, discussions about the possibility of sending people underground with cameras or glasses, um, n- not all the time, but maybe for certain events. Maybe you've had a, a catastrophic failure or a cave-in, or maybe you're traveling with an inspector or something like that where it would be important to record the data. Or maybe you're working on a piece of equipment and you want help from the outside world and they're able to see what you're seeing. I don't. I don't think a, a miner would wear wearables day in day out. But if the price comes down and the durability is there, who knows? Maybe. Interesting, yeah. Mark Leach. What are you seeing in the world of Chemico? Are you seeing wearables? Are they there yet? Are they something that's just beyond reach? And they say, well, maybe here and there, not yet. What do you see? Uh, I think we need to overcome a perception problem first. Um, nobody likes to feel like they've been watched and monitored every minute of the day. There is definitely uh-huh. a trust issue. There's definitely mm-hmm. a trust issue between mine workers and the management, right? And so I think it's incumbent on the management to show how this data has been used to keep them safe, to improve their working conditions or to improve the mining process um, and, and not make it about monitoring them whether they've spent five minutes extra on a, on a coffee break or, or something like that. So uh, there's definitely a trust thing that has to be overcome, but I think the potential for 
or wearables is really the undiscovered country. Uh, I'm super excited by that. I think that that is the future. We're already talking about, uh, um, you know, from a safety perspective, RFID type devices. Where are you in the mine at any given time? If there is a problem, how do I know that I've got everybody out safely into a shelter in a safe space? You know, have we left anybody behind? You know, especially in a fire situation, that would be, you know, really difficult to, to guarantee. You know, and although we have a tag out boards and tag in boards uh, up at the surface, you know, it's useful to have this information down underground as well. Thank you very much. Guess what? You have worked very hard, the three of you, on this roundtable. I'm going to give you a break of about 90 seconds, and I want you all to go and find the crystal ball, because when we come back, it's predictions time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask Mark Leach at Cameco, Steve Fisker at ENMJ, and Cole Age. Come on, everybody. You know what ENMJ is. Don't ask me questions. We've been saying it all, all show. Go look it up. And Rudy Schroeder at SAP. And I'm going to ask them to fast forward. I like the year 2020. If you can see clearly to 2020, that's fine. Otherwise, you tell me how far in the future. What will change about this conversation? Mark, Steve, and Rudy, when we come back, what would you be saying? What do you predict will change in the industry, in the terminology, in the way IoT is used, whether it's being proven and it's going to be something that they will continue to invest in or maybe not so much? We will be right back. So don't even think of touching. Oh, you know that drill. Michael, out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Je pense donc je suis. Anybody know what that means from way back? Mark Leach, Kamiko, not a trick question. Let's look at predictions. Mark, what do you see in the crystal ball, and how far in the future can you predict IoT revolutionizing the mining industry? Go ahead. Uh, this is a tough one for me, uh, Bonnie. Um, I think if I had a p- perfect crystal ball, I wouldn't really be on the show right now. I'd be out there cornering the market. Um, <laughs> well put. <laughs> yeah, I can't make detailed predictions, but I can say that I think this is an area that will see tremendous innovations, 
some big successes and probably likely some big failures too uh, as we go through this. You know, mining is due for a makeover. It hasn't changed radically in decades. It needs to make some big strides to simply catch up with other industries and to keep pace with the increasingly challenging mining environment. You know, we're seeing increased focus on safety, uh, tougher environmental performance regulations. Uh, sustainability is becoming a bigger part of what we do every day. It's part of our uh, license to operate that's granted us by the communities we operate in. Uh, and so we need to find new ways to, to meet all these challenges, but at the same time to cut costs and to become more efficient, you know, mining grades are deteriorating. We have to go deeper. Uh, we have to go bigger just to keep to keep up with production demand. Yeah, um, and so I think this can only be achieved through through smart mining and putting some technology to use. My prediction is that mining will be a hotbed of change in the coming years, starting slowly at first and then accelerating as innovations mature. Uh, starting with sensor data and uh, you know and mobile equipment, and then moving out from there. Mark, question for you. The data scientists who are going to want to be part of this evolution and revolution in mining, are they going to get excited about these opportunities and, and the insights you can glean from mining all that great data? Is it going to attract a new generation of data scientists who never would have thought about working in the mining field years ago? What are your thoughts? I certainly hope so. I can tell you it is probably one of the toughest skills for us to find and recruit is that data scientist. You know, we have folk who can who can collect data and can organize data, but to develop insights, you need, uh, you need someone with that, that good bent and that good challenging mindset to look at data differently to surface those insights. I certainly hope we see that. Uh, every opportunity I get to talk to young folk, I say, you know what, if you have any inclination towards the data scientist, go for it because the world's going to be your oyster. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I wanted to get that in there. And that, that was my earlier reference about the excitement in the manufacturing industry with the data and the opportunities and IoT. And there's a pride. There's a new pride and excitement. And our panelists on that show, Mark said, yes, their kids, they're saying, my son works in manufacturing. My daughter has a, a an assembly line floor job and, and she's got this piece of equipment and she's helping to analyze and keep the business going. There's an excitement. And I'm hoping that comes to mining as well. Steve Fisker, how far in the future would you like to predict for for us, please. Oh, I think I, I'm comfortable with 2020, I think. But okay. I, I think if you take where we're at today, you know, if you look at a mining company that maybe has four or five mines in different spots around the world, they've got a, a basically a patchwork of spreadsheets and systems and databases where they're trying to get a handle on things. And and I think as, as it progresses forward, these, these people will get a handle on their data. They'll be able to set benchmarks. They'll be able to measure themselves. And then you know the the mining engineers and the metallurgists themselves <clears throat> they will eventually have these ruggedized ruggedized devices and that that will give them access to everything they need or it'll present the data in a usable format and then as the intelligent systems take over uh some of the routine decisions that these people have to make that the systems will make those decisions for them and they'll be able to concentrate more of their efforts on some of the more complex problems and Similarly, um, a better understanding of the cost will allow mining companies to to make better decisions regarding new projects and how they approach it and how they fund it and whether it's feasible or not. I think, you know, turnover will always be a problem for our business, but I, it may reverse where the companies that uh, adopt these new techniques, the engineers, metallurgists flock to those companies and 
the other companies that are a little slower to adopt will be losing people to the more advanced companies. Mm-hmm. Good. That's the way of the world. Thank you very much. And Rudy Schroeder, I saved a minute and a half, 90 seconds for you. I warned you, you might have a little bit less time than the others. So, Rudy, predictions, talk to me. I would go also until 2020. So if we use IoT today as a buzzword, buzzword but I think in 2020 it will not be a buzzword anymore. It will be common by business practice. And it is very, very common that you have these connectivities that you have also. It gets much cheaper as well. So when we talked earlier about this, how much uh, it costs, for example, to put the wireless networks in there and just all the challenges, especially in the underground, I think lots of those challenges and costs will come down, actually, and uh, makes it much easier to connect all these kind of things. And uh, and uh, the data volume will increase, and uh, people will get smarter in how they use those data volumes, and they will have figured out what kind of data makes sense to use and which kind of data they will not make sense. And, uh, and based uh, their decisions more on facts and not so much on, uh, on, 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 not on, on assumptions. So I think this will change a lot. And, uh, it, uh, also when, when we talk about the Excel spreadsheets and those kind of things, I doubt it will go away completely, but, uh, but, uh, they will also be, um, much more sophisticated as a place to replace by other solutions, but, uh, and makes it much more easier to, uh, to, to manage those data. Thank you, Rudy. Good predictions all. Guess what? I have a couple predictions of my own. Let's see. Next Tuesday, we'll be back with Digital World with Game Changers the following Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern. That is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. But the big news is next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern, we'll be debuting another brand-new miniseries called Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. Now, I know our In the Cloud with Game Changers show we did in 2012 is still getting a global audience, so we'll have lots of new, interesting, and timely information on Industry Cloud Trends and two more series will debut after that. Tomorrow we'll be back with another episode of Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Thank you to my extraordinary panelists, Mark Leach at Cameco, Steve Fisker at ENMJ and Colage, and Rudy Schroeder at SAP. A shout-out to Jennifer Schultz, who at SAP put together this topic and panel and helped us so much. Thank you, Jennifer, and great tweets, by the way. Ira Burke, wherever you are in the world, thank you for your tweets as well. Always happy to see you. And Darren Crowder, the sponsor of this series. A shout-out and thanks to Michael and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I plan to be tomorrow during the other show, too. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.